At just 15 years old, Donald Boyle left home and a formal education to take up shearing. Having grown up on a dairy farm and milked cows by hand after his father became ill, life threw Don into the deep end. With a goal to own his own farm, he set out to shear his way into farming. Many decades later, Don Boyle has become a living legend in the shearing world, not only for the weight of medals he has won in competitions, but for generations of shearers that he has trained, including his own two sons, Brendan and Damien, who are record-breaking shearers in their own right. Welcome to The Yarn. This is a podcast to and for the Australian wool industry. I'm Ben Madwick. Awarded the WA State Training Medal and Rural Community Achiever Award, Don Boyle is not one to sit still, and he's just finished building his fourth wool shed, which he's also designed himself. Having started with a handpiece, he now runs a family enterprise with over 20,000 sheep, an amazing effort in one lifetime, and we'll get to this a little later in the podcast. But first, wool shed design, a real passion for Don, and he told Marius Cumming when they chatted in Western Australia, spending so long in sheds as a shearer has made it considerably easier to design and build sheds of his own. Yeah, mate, certainly helps a lot in, in the design because uh, you want things to flow when you design wool sheds. You want sheep to be able to flow and you want it user-friendly as far as shed staff and penning up and so forth. So, yeah. Now, we spent a bit of time in the car today and you've, you're basically saying when it comes to designing a wool shed and the flow of uh, not just sheds but the yards outside them that you think through the design in terms of lighting, in terms of grating and also thinking like a sheep. Tell us a bit about the principles of how you operate. Yeah, well, the principle is you don't want dark corners. You want plenty of lighting up on top of your grating. I mean, you've got to think yourself. Would If you're a sheep, would you like to run into that dark corner? No, you wouldn't. So you have plenty of lighting, so it will run freely where the light is, and it also eliminates light coming in from underneath the shed when you've got plenty of light on top. The size of the grating makes a huge difference. I've gone to, to three-inch grating. Through all my sheds that I've built, I've used a three-inch grating versus two-inch grating. Yeah, which is, uh, well, other people would call it battens as well, but you've gone wider than most people. Now, why is that? Well, the sheep stand more comfortable on, on the wider wider battens. I mean, they're a split-hoof animal, so, you know, I mean, on the, on, the, on the smaller grating or battens, they tend to stand uneasy. But if they can walk in onto wide grating, they only see half the light or even less than half the light that they do going onto smaller grating. And um, they stand on there better. They feel more comfy standing on there. So they're going to travel over it a lot easier. Now, I've taken a few photographs that uh, we, can, we can point to on this, but we're standing in one of the sheds here, which uh, you've designed in a U-shape. This is a six-stand shed. Let's start with the board itself. It's a raised board, but it's actually lower than a lot of raised boards. How high is it, and why is it that high? Yep, look, it's, uh, it's 28 inches high because the first shed that I ever built was when my wife and myself were doing all our own work, and uh, I put some timber down and said, how does that feel? Mum, I said, does that feel high enough, too low, too high? And we got to this where it was 28 inches high, and that seems to be a really good height. You don't have to get up on your tiptoes to reach fleeces or anything else. You can bend across there quite easy. And it gives you, you're a bit higher than 
where the shearers are there for a handpiece getting away or anything as well. Safety, safety. safety. Now, uh, the U-shape is is um, particularly designed, obviously, because it's only one step away from the wool table. And so you've kept wool handlers very much in mind here. So that one step from the table is one of your key concepts, isn't it? Oh, it is one of the very key concepts because, um, as I said, user-friendly uh, it's just that they've got to, particularly with a six stand, they've got to, uh, the shed staff have got to split it in half. They've got to use one side and the other, whereas uh, they usually have half hour on the broom and half hour off. Well, they've got to do one side of the shed and we do, you know, the other one does the other side of the shed, which is not a problem as far as I'm concerned, but they're, they're only one step from the wool table. No matter which stand you go to, they're only one step from the wool table. Now, in the shed we've just been at, which is a four-stand shed, I think uh, yourself and Jim Murray were talking about having four shearers but only three or perhaps four shed staff. And you have one on either side of the table, the classer and the presser who also pens up. That's correct. I mean, normal in normal circumstances for the everyday shed that you would be working in, you would have one shed staff for each shearer. Whereas down there, uh, if... You wanted to, I, I believe that you could cut back on one shed staff. That's how easy it is to get to the, the stands and get to the wool table. Now, other um, little things you've brought into your design is uh, large large portholes. Now, Jim Murray talks about having it as large as possible because you want the animal to escape and see where to go. So he talks about a metre by a metre by a metre. But you also, um, in terms of the, the brackets for the for the shearers, for the back aids, tell us a bit about what you've done there because I can't say I've seen that before. Yeah, well, I make up my own back aid swingers. I haven't here in the six-stand one, but I have at home and the one down the block we just finished. Yeah, if, if you want to stay in your harness, it goes around with you back into the pen quite easily, got it nicely so that it'll run in there and you get three quarters of your pen without getting out of your back aid if you need to. So it just saves a little bit of that time. Now, filling pens is one of the really annoying things about shearing. Um, sheep running into the pens is a big part of your design. Tell us a bit about the important things to get right in terms of pen size and where they are. Well, pen size is really, really, really important. Well, number one, you don't want a too big a catching pen for the shearers. So I reckon... Uh, a seven foot by ten foot wide is quite sufficient for shearing, and you want exactly the same size feeding pen as you have catching pen. And sliding gates very important. Yeah, uh, slide, but also can swing. Yep, slide, and they can swing. You can swing them around, or you can slide them straight through, get behind the sheep, and then they'll all run into the pen. But it's very important to have those pens the same size. So they all fit into that, that catching pen. Now, so another little detail that um, you notice when you come into your sheds, Don, is the, is the, uh, the doors into the catching pen. They are, there's, there's one long and one short. Why have you done that? Well, if, if you actually see where the handpiece sits on the floor, if you have two doors exactly the same and you want your doors reasonably wide for shearers to get in and out, um, so you, if you have them the same size, they'll come around and hit your handpiece. Mm. Uh, whereas with a, with a small door on the chute side, doesn't go anywhere near your handpiece when you walk back out with the sheep. Now, Don, a little bit about yourself because uh, you've got a, a fascinating personal story in um, the shearing game and you've gone from essentially a handpiece to over 20,000 sheep in your lifetime, which is an extraordinary effort. Tell us a bit about how it all started for you and sheep growing up and, 
and how you got into this industry. Well, I always uh, loved sheep and loved shearing. I shore the high school sheep when I was going to school, and which I didn't get much of high school. But uh, when did I you did, grow up on a farm yourself? Yes, I yes. did. Yeah, most certainly did. Then went out into a shearing team as soon as ever I left school at fifteen, and uh, continued to go from there. And just loved loved working with stock with sheep, and uh, yeah, it eventually started from there. And I always wanted to go farming, so it was a matter of um, just putting it all together and uh, keeping the head down and and heading for your target. Now, we're talking a bit before about young people starting in the industry and getting a start. I mean, how did you get that start? And did you get into farming essentially by shearing only? Yes, uh, really, I did. I bought a bush block and uh, with my shearing and clearing, that's the way you put it, shearing and clearing every year, clear a bit more, keep shearing and keep clearing. And eventually got it all up and running and uh, then the boys, when they left school, they wanted to go shearing and uh, farming. So I said, right, oh, we'll pull our resources together and uh, we will continue to buy. And that's exactly how we've done it. And, uh, well, you, you haven't just um, created uh, a couple of shearers. You've created a couple of amazing shearers. Um, and uh, tell us a bit about uh, their exploits because they're famous shearers. Oh, yeah, for sure and certain. They, they're well recognised in the industry. And, uh, look... Damien, number one, he would uh, take a lot of eating and shearing competitions, um, which he has done all over the world. And, yeah, he, he holds himself in very, very good stead. Young Brend, well, he's done a lot of competition shearing too, travelled the world, shearing. But he's, he's a bit better than that. I had prostate cancer at one stage and he decided he wanted to do a record and raise funds for that which he did, and he shore 973 Merino U's in 24 hours and raised 40,000 bucks. Incredible. And um, incredible personal and mental strength, which is a, a story on its own that we'll have to catch up with him. But um, in terms of a family, uh, a lot of families try and work together and, and can't do it. It's, uh, it's one of the hard things in agriculture, working together and succession as well. You've been able to do it very, very successfully and obviously worked as a team. What would you have to say to people that work in family arrangements or are bringing young people back that want to have that same team ethic? Well, all I say is give the young ones a go. You may think you've got all the wise ideas, but in actual fact, if you pool your ideas like you pool your finances, you can go a long way. And how do you get through those rough patches? Because there are disagreements naturally. How do you get through those and stay all on the same path? Because... Um, you know, we all know there's a lot of train wrecks out there um, yeah. and it's one of those really hard things in agriculture. I think it's partly because it, our identity is tied up in our business. It's not, it's not just a business, it's also our lifestyle and our identity. Yeah, that's right. Well, but I think with the boys, they've had to come through and do it tough as well with the shearing side of things. They've shorn all their life. Uh, they still shear. Even I go out and do the odd day myself still, but very few. <laughs> <laughs> But look, you've got to learn to listen as well as talk. And you always look for the person that can show you, not the one that can tell you. And I think, you know, you've got to carry a lot of those concepts through life and do a fair bit of listening as well as talking. That's um, fantastic advice. Now, uh, Don, you're obviously a, a sheep man before being a, uh, a cropper, but you, you plant plenty of crop uh, every year anyway. What do you have to say 
to industry because uh, we're obviously wanting to, to lift sheep numbers, particularly here in WA, but there's a generation there that just uh, are quite committed to cropping and obviously infrastructure has been run down on a lot of farms. How do we get more sheep back onto these crops? Well, it could be, it could be a difficult one because anyone that has let their infrastructure go like fencing, water and so forth, sheds, when you go around to a lot of places, it will cost a lot of money to get them back into the industry. And they say, well, why should I try now when I'm getting a lot back? But anyone that's, that's still toiling with the idea of sheep, don't be frightened to spend a few dollars on your shearing shed to get it up to speed. It's not that hard and it won't cost you that much. So if you're toiling with the idea of, of getting into it or you know improving in it, make sure you've got a good set of sheep yards that you work sheep in. You want to be able to work sheep on your own with your dog. So there is ways and means to get into there with not so much money and you'll enjoy it if you enjoy working with stock. Mm. Which obviously you have for a very long time. Do you still enjoy working with stock? Most certainly. What do you get out of it? Why, why is it so enjoyable? Well, I like filling bales of wool and I'll tell anyone that and anyone that knows me knows that I've got sheep that fill bales of wool. I really know in, in my own heart that I'll, I'll get the best out of a sheep. It's like anything else. It's like growing a crop. If you just put a crop in the ground and don't fertilise it or anything else, it'll yield you nothing. You've got to look after your stock the same way as you look after your crop. And don't just treat them as weed eaters. Treat them as a crop. So what would you have to someone who, to say to someone who is uh, perhaps uh, on, a, on a tractor now or seeding or uh, getting ready for the crop who wouldn't mind the idea of bringing sheep back or increasing their sheep numbers? How do you best integrate uh, a big sheep operation with your cropping operation? How does it work hand in hand? I mean, there's, there's people 50-50, there's people 75 crop, 25 sheep, and there's 100% crop, no sheep. But if, if a guy is 75% and wants to do 50-50, he's obviously still got infrastructure, so all he's got to do is do a little bit of maintenance on that infrastructure, which won't cost a fortune, and he can bring his numbers up. And there are, I mean, sheep handlers and things now that have uh, starting to revolutionise the way people handle their sheep. Interestingly, we've been lucky enough to go to a couple of your farms and I haven't seen a sheep handler yet. Do you use sheep handlers? No, we don't. Two sons. Two sons. Yeah. <laughs> and about six dogs. <laughs> so, yeah, no, we don't use sheep handlers, and I've got nothing against sheep handlers, just that uh, I just haven't uh, moved myself to that yet. Probably left me run a bit late now to even think about it. <laughs> oh, no, not at all. Uh, now, the other thing that you're, you're famous uh, for, Don, is, of course, uh, shearer training. We've got Jim Murray here as well. What... Um, what do you think the state of shearer training is? Um, we keep hearing there's a shortage of shearers, but we keep training a lot of shearers. Yeah, look, I mean, uh, look, I think there's a lot of people out there with a lot of views, and, and I'm only one person with, with a view. I, I believe that we are lacking young males in the industry, and we've lost our traditional pathway into the industry from the young males not being in the industry, and got nothing against the young ladies that that are in the industry and, and, and want to come into the industry and keep in the industry, but we've lost the chain of starting as a shed hand, working your way up, smelling that hand piece, and then eventually taking it on and toughening your body up and winding up their shearing 12 months later. 
Jim, you're with us today. This is uh, Jim Murray, who's uh, head of Shearer and Wool Handler Training at AWI. Jim, what would you like to say on the back of uh, Don's comments there? I totally agree with it. It's uh, the loss of that traditional pathway into our industry. The, the result of that is what we're feeling today. And what we have to do is recreate a new pathway, and it's something that I've had many discussions with Don about and uh, with a, uh, a lot of other people around the country. And we still haven't come up with a solution. We've come up with a couple of ideas which we are going to explore where hopefully we can take a young person in a uh, revolving door training situation where they come into a training uh, facility. They're there until they can shear enough sheep to be employable. But from that point, they have to be taken up by a contractor. And, you know, we need contractors to come on board with this concept. They have to be there and ready to take these young people on. But not take them on and expect them to go shearing straight off the bat for the next 12 months because their bodies simply won't handle it. It's like Don was saying, traditionally we'd spend at least 12 months on a broom. Then you'd get a handpiece, but you'd spend the next 12 months where you were the the fifth shearer in a four-stand team, or you'd be the one sent to do the crutching. But, and that's what we need the contractors to do. We can get them up so they've got the skill level to fulfil that role. But then the contractors need to keep these young people working. And when they're not crutching and they're not the, the fifth one in the four-stand team, they've still got to keep them employed. And, you know, how the contractor does that, that's going to be up for them as an individual business uh, decision to do so. But if we don't have places for these young people to go and to work and to have that meaningful employment till they are up to shearing full-time all the time, then the situation finding shearers is not going to improve. So is the onus on the contractor to put them on or is it on the farmer um, to say, I want a shearer on that fourth stand or on the fifth stand? It's a little bit of both. And, you know, we also have to realise that not uh, all the sheep in Australia are shorn by contractors, but there is a lot of sheep that are shorn by contractors and they're the ones with the continuity of work to keep these young people going. If uh, you're in a situation and there's plenty of them around the country where the grower organises the local shearer to come in and the grower might ask whoever his contactor is, they're not contractors, they're contactors, ask the contactor, you know, is there a young fellow that we can put on? Uh, there might be somebody sitting around. But if you're a young person coming into an industry, you need continuity of work. And growers and contractors have to realise we can't go and train somebody and then for them to give them two days' work a week, three days a fortnight, five days a month, they're not going to hang around. They've got to have that continuity of work. And whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, the contractors are the people that have that continuity of work. Don, are you optimistic for the future of uh, the sheep and wool industry, um, having been in it for... Uh, a good many years. I wasn't going to say, but... Uh, <laughs> He's a well good experienced many years, yeah. in it, Maris. Yes. He's not old, just well experienced. Yes. Look, I, I, I'm, I'm very optimistic about the whole... The whole arena, really. I mean, uh, wool prices the way they are, and I can't see any downside in in sheep and wool for a long time to come yet. Yeah. Because of uh, well, we've had droughts over east. We've got foot and mouth in uh, South Africa. In South Africa. I mean, it all points to Australia having a very good future in sheep. 
But, yeah, we need a bit more of this stuff that's falling on the yeah. roof right now all over the place. Um, well, Don, thank you very much for showing us around today and your ingenuity in sheds and yards. Thanks for having a yarn. Good on you. Thanks, Mary. That's Don Boyle and AWI Shearer and Wool Handler Training Manager Jim Murray speaking with Marius Cumming. If you're enjoying listening to the podcast, please tell your family and friends about us. If you'd like to get in touch, please email us at theyarn at wool.com for any questions, insights or ideas. We'd love to hear from you. So that's it for another episode of The Yarn. Join us next week as we continue to chat to members of the West Australian wool industry. Thanks very much for listening.